0: Hello again. This is Steve Chevron, Portfolio Manager and Equity Strategist at Federated Investors. And we're back with part two of my discussion with my good friend Steve DiNicolo, senior portfolio manager. So, when you think about that, there have also been, you know, in that IPO space, um, there have been some disappointing IPOs over the course of the last year. And there's some, some unflattering characteristics, if you will. You've got some, you know, some, some companies going IPO that are losing sums of money, et cetera. Right. Talk about your, you know, so you're evaluating IPOs. You, you've got company management in. You, what are the things that you're looking for? What are the hallmarks of of an investable IPO? And then what are some of those red flags that, when you look at it, you realize, okay, you know, as you said, maybe all that that glitters is not gold here. Um, how do you think about that broadly?
1: Although gold has been quite good this year,
0: it, it certainly has. <laughs> if the Fed keeps cutting rates, it may continue
1: to do well. Um, so look. We're not afraid to invest in an IPO that is losing money today, um, especially if they have accelerating, exciting sales growth. We're able to look f- past that. What matters, though, is the capital intensity of the business, the returns they can generate vis-a-vis the capital invested. And so when you have a, uh, a highly, an asset-heavy company that cannot generate incremental margins, Then it doesn't matter how fast that company is growing. I mean, you've seen two very high profile ride sharing IPOs come public this year where 80% of their costs is insurance to cover drivers. Um, And so the more drivers you have, the more insurance you have. That is not necessarily a capital uh, an an asset-like company. And so in that environment, you a scalable if you're growing 100% and your expenses are growing 110%, uh, that's not exciting to us. What you want to see is, is I mean, this is not brain you know surgery here. You want to see low capital intensity, high incremental margins, and the ability to take advantage of that increase in sales. And we look at it as free cash flow growth. If, you know... You can look at an income statement and there can be a lot of games that can be played. A balance sheet is just a moment in time. Free cash flow statement is everything and it's where it's very easy um, to see the ability of a company's success going forward. And and we want to see a company that is self-financing. We don't want a company that's coming back to the capital markets every three months. We don't want to see big sponsor ownership where they're going to be selling down their stake and we're going to be the last one holding the bag. And so we look for clean, asset-like growth stories. And it's something so simple to say, but, but when... You know, you're seeing all these IPOs coming to market, and they're very exciting, and they're front page headline news. It's easy to get intoxicated by that, but but we tend to steer clear of these asset heavy companies or companies that cannot show those incremental margins.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you you talk a lot about free cash flow and companies that are able to generate their own free cash flow or 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 or, or be able to cover their expenses with their own free cash flow. And it's interesting because there's a lot of fear out there about a recession. So, I mean, as you know, we've got our recession dashboard. We think it's still a little bit ways off. You know, we're targeting, you know, nothing before 2021. But when you think about the later part of a cycle as you go into recession, what what strikes us as interesting, and one of the things we're wrestling with on the macro side, is it's conceivable to us that at least some of these growth companies could be more defensive because they're generating their cash flow, they're living within their means, um, they should have the ability to, to to continue to fund themselves. They're not overly indebted. Um, talk about that. You know, what are your thoughts about? I mean, obviously, look, if there's a recession, stocks are going down. I think right. we, we all agree with That's that. The first but,
1: thing I was going to say. Everything goes down. Yeah, right? I mean,
0: it's going to go down. But what are your thoughts on the idea that perhaps growth is a little bit more defensive this yeah. cycle than than maybe you would think?
1: I don't even know if it's this cycle, Steve, yeah. because if you look at two thousand and nine and and. Two thousand eight and two thousand nine, and, and nobody likes to look back at that. But uh, the growth indices actually perform outperformed value indices, and I think mm. it's because you still had companies that were growing. If you look at some of the biggest fang stocks today, um, or just you know internet retailers, uh, they were still actually able to you know grow revenue in that environment. And so, in a, a period of a recession where everything goes down, I still think that small cap. Innovative growth companies that are not reliant on GDP uh, should be able to do well. And in if your environment in if your scenario of a recession, let's just say the debt market ceases or is not, or at a minimum, is just not open. Let, let's hope that doesn't happen. But, right. yeah. but let's just say instead yeah. of raising money, I mean, we're seeing a lot of also ran companies you know, raising money at 5%. That's not necessarily sustainable or normal. And it allows a lot of zombie companies to, to survive. Um, these growth companies are, are, are not hoping for finance, or not worried about refinancing, do not have large debt maturities coming. And so it's just one less risk that you have to worry about. It's not going to protect you completely in a in a bad scenario, but um, it should be more defensive. And I think it's something that investors forget about. And, and I think we've been stuck in, even though at this point, it's 18 years old, we, we've been stuck in this 2001 growth is dangerous environment Post the dot com yeah. bubble, and you probably had a lot of now baby boomers in the retirement who were saying, you know, I don't want to get blown up like that again because a lot of people were. It, it was, you know, our errors, nifty fifty, right? And where a lot of people choked on a lot of stocks going down pretty hard. I it just, I think it's a different environment. I think these companies are better, better um, capitalized, have better balance sheets, have better margins, and, and have
0: stickier revenue base. Yeah, we see that from the top down. I mean, when you look at the tech index. Yeah, it may be sitting at or near all-time highs, but it's certainly no, nowhere near all-time high valuations. I mean, even at at these elevated levels, you're not in the kind of stratosphere. Right. You talked a lot about about debt in that last answer. And so a couple of things. You know, one of the things we've observed. Debt is bad. Well, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, but, but when we talk about debt, one of the things that we've observed is, a lot of the kind of older companies that don't have the growth um, have used low rates over the course of the last you know decade or so, in order to to do leverage buybacks where they're taking out debt and buying back shares, or or they're using right. it for for various reasons. And again, as we enter that next recession, it's interesting the companies a lot of the companies that are traditionally more defensive, and, but may actually be getting disrupted by some of the growth companies that you're looking at, also have higher debt loads, mm-hmm. um, and so. We've got an excess amount of debt around the world. We've got the seventeen trillion dollar of negative yielding global debt, which we you know right. hear about at infinitum. How do you all think about debt balance sheets? You got into a little bit, but let's explore that because it strikes yeah. me that that's another area where you could be a little bit more defensive. You know, we we always
1: think it's funny when people say, "Well, we could service our debt." Well, okay. I mean, you know, that's like just saying, "I want to be mediocre in life." Um, just being able to service your debt today, in an economy that has been growing for ten years, and what you said is potentially late cycle, it's a little nerve wracking for us. Uh, you know, in general, we are skewing much more towards cleaner balance sheets, and gosh, buying back, levering up to buying back stock, and we have a couple examples of of, of stocks that we owned that did that, and we sold them on site. Uh, we, we had a company who was looking for acquisitions. Um, their business slowed, the acquirer, and so their multiple got chopped in half. And so they couldn't make accretive acquisitions anymore because the targets were trading at a much higher multiple than now their current stock. So instead of, and the, their bill of goods was we were out there looking for acquisitions to grow. Um, and so they pivoted and, and they took a billion dollars and, and bought back stock and levered up in excess of, of four to one. And they can afford it, and it's accretive to the bottom line. But we don't think that creates sustainable, long-term shareholder returns. I mean, we want to see a company investing back in its business because there are exciting things to do. Or making accretive acquisitions that broaden a company's scope of potential growth. Just buying back stock, we, we think, is financial alchemy. Um, it doesn't do... Anything for the shareholder, um, and then you're just hoping for what, you know, higher multiples on higher earnings that are simply grown because of, um, you know, because of buybacks. It's just, it's not a sustainable way to make money. We think, and, and we tend to, to to steer clear of companies where that's their number
0: one uh, avenue for growth. Well, you know, it's interesting because when you look at the per share earnings growth, right, uh, over the last, let's call it two or three years. Looks pretty good. Looks better than pretty good. When when you look at the aggregate earnings growth, it doesn't look quite as good because yeah, you've had a lot right. of that buyback in of and So, as as scarce as growth seems, it's actually even a little bit scarcer uh, right? when, when you strip away some yeah. of that some of that per share type analysis. Yeah, look at the the largest multi industrials
1: that are sort of canaries in the coal mine for the global economy, and they're growing at one or two percent. Look at Railroads in the US. I mean, if you look at rail car loadings, it's down a few percent. If you look at, mm-hmm. you know, we spend a lot of time, in, and we're not necessarily always focused on the macro, and we really focus on, on stocks. But look at air freight out of Hong Kong. I mean, think about it. If you need something today and you're conducting commerce that needs to happen this week, you will air freight it instead of putting it on a ship. Those air freight numbers are down mid-single digits. Durable goods orders are negative. I mean, there's there's clearly a slowing and in, in malaise out there. And I don't necessarily think that means we're going to have a minus 30 or 40 in the market or a minus 3 in GDP. It's just, you know, we're in this sort of muck right now. And in that environment, I think you want companies that can create their own shot.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting because one of the things that we've focused a lot of time on is, is It's almost two economies in a way, right? You're absolutely right in saying that business spending, B2B, trade-related manufacturing activity, kind of global industrial activity has slowed and slowed significantly. Um, And we think that's one of the reasons that central banks are kind of back in play. At the same time, at least for now, those consumers, at least in the US, remain robust. Job growth remains robust you know, uh, wages are rising. Is it robust or is or it starting? just stable because they have jobs? Well, we're still bringing in one hundred and thirty to 170,000 folks per month off the sidelines. You know, if you look at even some of the more recent job reports over the last couple of months, you've got participation rates rising. You're pulling folks in off right. the sidelines. And so, you know, the retail sales are doing okay. So it's interesting because the perspective that you can get, depending on who you're talking to, and I want to segue here, um, into sectors, uh, because, again, I think if, if you were to talk to a retail analyst today, they probably feel very different about how they're, they're, they're in certain segments uh, right. than, than you might feel when you're talking to you know, someone like yourself that covers more industrials and right. materials. So w- as you look broadly, and feel free to, to, to make any differences by market cap, when you look broadly by sector... Right. Where are there opportunities that, that appear to be more abundant? And where are there opportunities where it's just, there's just more risk than opportunity?
1: I mean, look, if you look at general industrial materials, things tied to China GDP, um, things are very blah. I mean, it is mm-hmm. a cloudy, overcast day in those sectors. It's not terrible, um, but it certainly is not growing. Um, and you're hoping for what? If you're a global industrial company, you're hoping for a China stimulus, you're hoping for the European, <clears throat> excuse me, the European economy to hook up and actually start posting some positive GDP. I mean, it's just, there's not a lot of excitement out there. If you're a technology software company, if you're a healthcare device company, if you're a biotech that's benefiting from only being 10 years in from mapping the human genome, which used to take three years and a couple billion dollars, and now you spit into a little um cup and you can get your DNA mapped in a couple weeks from 23andMe, um, you know, the, the world is is dramatically changing. And I think bifurcated is is the perfect way to put it. And I I don't see how that can change right now. And I, the only way you'd get these more cyclical sectors and value sectors to start outperforming is if you have a massive drawdown and sort of a reset in all the global economy. But but if you're in an environment where China has to grow by X percent, or the US has to grow. I sort of equate it to baseball. You know, I'm a New York Yankees fan. Oh, thank
0: goodness. And
1: and the New York Yankees had a fantastic run in uh, the mid-90s to 2000s by what? By having homegrown organic growth. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, Derek Jeter starts announcing that we have to win every single year. And if we don't win the World Series every year, the whole year is a is a failure. In that environment of having to win every year, then what happens? You go out the risk curve. Um, you make bad moves. You, you can't. It's not organic growth. And, th- and that's the same thing where we are in the economy. If, mm-hmm. if you're in an environment where you have to grow, if the White House does not allow a recession to happen and you keep stretching and stretching and stretching, it, it, eventually that rubber band is going to break. And, you know, organic growth economic expansions are what are most powerful and we're in this weird time right now admittedly and I think you guys agree where we've had low growth for a long time no one is allowed to have a recession anymore and you keep coming back coming back to the well you know looking for different ways to grow um, and so in that environment what have we had just low growth and nothing amazing and so these global cyclicals have not done well and you know investors should continue to focus on companies that don't need all that noise
0: no, and you think about it you well, like that metaphor I thought that was a good uh, well one. you know what you know how I love baseball so no I mean I, I, I think it makes a lot of sense right when you start reaching for you know th- that 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 player that used to be a blue chip that's in the decline um, and, and then hoping that they find you know the fountain of middle age again, like that, that's a problem.
1: Right, because your organic growth, yeah. your organic homegrown talent is not
0: there. Well, and I think you were talking about flows. That's one of the reasons why I think you do see folks going back to the value cyclicals because in years past or in cycles past, if you were going to get stimulus or you were going to have any kind of pickup and growth, these were the folks that led. What they're missing right. is some of the disruption. Right. right. And example, the no
1: pickup in real growth. Right? China,
0: you know, a resumption in China growth may be less resource intensive than it was in the past. It might be more concrete, less it might be more concrete and less copper. It might be right. more consumer. And so there, there you know, it's not all other things being equal. Um, right, and it, I wanted to dig into this because even within a sector, right? So when you think about, you know, the classic example I think everyone sees on the news. Is what's going on in retail. You can have tremendous new retail opportunities, your belt company notwithstanding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, you can have massive death. I mean, we've seen as many store closures and, and retail yeah. bankruptcies over the course of the last couple of years that we
1: maybe ever seen. Look, I mean, even this year, you've seen bankruptcies in traditional uh, mattress companies, which isn't a very exciting um, uh, sector. Yet you're seeing upstarts and online all of a sudden. You know, we don't have to take the terrible trip to the mattress store. And people are buying mattresses online. And those companies are being very successful and very profitable. And it's a complete disruption of something that nobody really realized had to be disrupted.
0: So I think as we wrap it up, um, it's kind of my question. Uh, I don't think we've talked about it yet. But I'm big on technology. I'm big on technological disruption. It's come up a bunch of times. Um what are some of the, the, the kind of cutting edge technologies or areas of technology, be it in biotech, be it in kind of more generalized sectors that, that you guys are paying attention to excited about you know maybe maybe seeing some opportunities in specific companies right. around these key technologies?
1: you know it doesn't always have to necessarily be cutting edge although we, you know we spend a lot of time on cutting edge companies I mean in the healthcare device land, um, we have companies that are changing something as um, chronic as sleep apnea, where you have technology that is literally 40 years old and has not changed and you have new upstart, different ways of attacking a problem that has been around for a long time. I mentioned on the biotech side, since we've been able to map the human genome, how we attack diseases has fundamentally changed and it's only been five years old, right? Um, But then there's some more mundane sectors, for example, Um, I think our kids' kids will not use single-serve plastic bottles. Mm. You won't have bottled water anymore. You won't have the red Solo Cup anymore. Um, It is not fully recyclable. It is completely ruining our environment. And there's been a slow groundswell of pushback. You're seeing San Francisco recently banned all plastic one-use containers. What is infinitely recyclable and much more green, although you wouldn't think about it, is aluminum. So something as simple as aluminum beverage cans, we think, is like a 10-year growth horizon. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's disruption everywhere. It isn't always science or technologically related. It could yeah. be just something consumer and focused. Just right, society awakening to mm-hmm. a problem that needs to change. And the reality is is that using a plastic container Oh, for one sip of water and then throwing it out is not really sustainable. And you know the world is always changing. And that's what's exciting about being a growth investor is that you're constantly thinking about tomorrow. You're taking today's norms and thinking, how can this change? And that sort of disruption occurs if GDP is positive 5% or negative 5%. And so we think that growth investing and growth portfolio always has a place in a diversified portfolio of our clients, and we're excited to offer it uh, every day.
0: And that's, you know, to to kind of wrap it up, that is, that's one of the two pillars of why we've remained bullish over the long run. As we look at the US economy, particularly when we compare it to some other developed economies, there's two ingredients that we see here that just don't exist in in other major economies right now. The first is population growth. We continue to have it. I mean, it's slower, but it's still population growth. We don't have the decline. People don't think
1: about demographics, but it's very powerful.
0: It, it, in the end, I mean, that, that's probably the, the, the most significant uh, contributor to long-term growth. And then the second thing is the United States is ground zero for innovation uh, across multiple sectors, multiple avenues. Um, and so it, it keeps us in the long run, as you talk about those sustainable returns, that long-term focus, it keeps us very constructive. Steve, thank you, and thank you to our listeners. Uh, We hope you enjoyed this two-part discussion, and we look forward to having you join us again on the Federated Here and Now podcast.
1: Views are as of September 6th, 2019, and are subject to change based on market conditions and other factors. These views should not be construed as a recommendation for any specific security or sector. Fang stocks include Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. Gross domestic product (GDP) is a broad measure of the economy that measures the retail value of goods and services produced in a country. Investing in IPOs involves special risks such as limited liquidity and increased volatility. Small company stocks may be less liquid and subject to greater price volatility than large company stocks. 1940376-1019. Federated Advisory Services Company